Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of No Rain Date, the podcast of Sock and Source. I'm Josh Popachak, the publisher of Sock and Source and your host for No Rain Date, here with the latest headlines from our area and beyond for the week ending November 14th, 2020. The 2020 presidential election continues to dominate news cycles and conversations in Hellertown and certainly all across the United States. It was about a week ago on Saturday, November 7th, (laughs) four days after the election was held, that Joe Biden, the Democratic candidate, became the projected winner. And he did that once he became the projected winner of Pennsylvania's 20 electoral votes. That was history in the making, not totally unexpected, but still quite exciting for many people that the election came down to Pennsylvania and its votes. And it was a close result in the Keystone State with Biden narrowly beating Republican Donald Trump, incumbent U.S. President Trump, by about 1%. Turnout was very big in the state, above 70%. That equated to something like almost 7 million votes being cast. So the fact that it came down to maybe 30 to 40,000 votes is pretty remarkable, all things considered. That is not the end of the story, however. In spite of the fact that Biden became the projected winner, according to numerous national news outlets and based on unofficial and official state results, not just in Pennsylvania, but in other states, Donald Trump has refused to concede the election, which is unprecedented in U.S. history, certainly modern U.S. history. And here we are a week later, and this refusal to concede a loss is beginning to affect the transition period, uh, which normally lasts from Election Day until January 20th of the new year. The transition period is obviously particularly critical this year because of COVID-19. The pandemic continues, and as a matter of fact, it's getting worse once again. We're seeing record case caseloads every day. Record, new records are being set both nationally and here in Pennsylvania. On Friday, the state topped 5,500 new cases for the first time, and nearly every day this week was a new record daily case total. Both Northampton and Lehigh counties are seeing record or near record new daily case totals as well, with Northampton County reporting something like 200 new cases on November 12th. And Lehigh County is also way up there with its new case numbers. Fortunately, since many of the cases, the new cases continue to be in younger age groups, especially the 19 to 24 year old cohort, We're not seeing the widespread serious illness and death rates that occurred in the spring when the pandemic began. However, the weather's getting colder. As temperatures are dropping, more people are spending time inside. 
it's known that the closer contact you have with other people, the more likely you are to spread COVID-19 yourself or to be infected just because it's a disease that preys on people's proximity to one another. In the summertime, when people were able to spread out naturally in parks, you know, at the beach, the case numbers dropped significantly. We're also hearing concerns about the start of flu season. Will flu, if it's contracted and somebody has COVID-19, will it exacerbate the symptoms of it? or, you know, create sort of a deadly or dangerous cocktail of viruses in a person. A lot of these things remain unknown. Certainly, the state is encouraging everybody to continue to wear masks. They're required in businesses and in any public space in which a distance of six feet cannot be maintained at all times. So in essence, the state is telling people, wear a mask whenever you go out to help protect others and also yourself because new evidence reported by the CDC this week indicated that wearing a face mask has more benefits for protecting the wearer than was previously believed. So even though the state has repeatedly stressed, my mask protects you, your mask protects me, it works both ways. As I said, you know, new data, new information about COVID-19 continues to be reported on practically a daily basis. You could probably spend, you know, all day, every day just reading the latest findings from scientists. But unfortunately, most people don't have time for that. And it's hard even for the media in some cases to keep up with constant cycle of new information. There's been positive developments on the vaccine front with Pfizer. That's encouraging. However, it does not appear that the vaccine will be available until sometime in early 2021, possibly the April time frame. It's not going to be available before the end of 2020. And so it's the winter months that everybody's kind of focused on now. How are we going to get through the holidays, a time when we normally gather together with family, friends, Christmas parties? It's going to be challenging, to say the least, to keep COVID in check during that time. We continue to report on it. We had a very detailed article that was published on Friday with a lot of numbers in it. I'm not going to go into all those numbers right now, but visit SawkinSource.com and check out the latest data from the state and Northampton County because they released an updated total number of deaths that have been recorded in the county since the start of the pandemic. And tragically, Saucon Valley has not been spared. Residents of both Hellertown Borough and Lower Saucon Township have succumbed to COVID-19. It's a tragedy and, and hopefully, you know, with continued progress and cooperation, both in our government, our transitioning government, and at the local level, within families, within school districts, everybody needs to double down and make their best effort to follow the protocols that are in place. And it is challenging because people are tired and they've been cooped up in some cases since March, but it has to continue for a while longer or else the consequences could be dire. 
we're continuing to try and educate people and provide factual information as opposed to rumors and who knows what else you might see on social media. Uh, We appreciate all of our readers sharing that, and we encourage you to, of course, subscribe to our newsletter, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday evening. And that way, even if you're not on Facebook, you'll see all the latest headlines. You can easily sign up at SockAndSource.com. In other news, there were a couple of big crime stories in Hellertown this week. Hellertown police announced on Thursday that they are investigating a home invasion slash armed robbery that occurred in the 1000 block of Main Street. Police did not release a lot of information regarding this case. However, they said two men and a woman entered a a home in that block. One of the men was brandishing a firearm and they allegedly stole firearms during this robbery, home invasion. They fled the scene in what police described as a dark-colored, possibly purple Mazda or Subaru, and police are seeking additional information about the the vehicle, the people that committed this crime. We have a story about it, and contact information for the Hellertown Police Department is included in that story. Certainly, uh, we hope everybody is okay, and the police did, did indicate that there were no injuries as a result of this home invasion. However, I'm sure uh, nerves were rattled, and and this occurred in a heavily populated area in the middle of town on a busy street during the the daytime. So hopefully somebody saw something and will help the police out as they continue to investigate that. Also in Hellertown, a uh, Bronx, New York man is accused of forgery for allegedly passing phony prescriptions at the CVS pharmacy on Main Street in Hellertown, and police were alerted to this individual by pharmacy staff who apparently picked up on the suspicious nature of the prescriptions the man was allegedly trying to fill. These were for two different kinds of painkillers, meloxicam and oxycodone. These are controlled substances and certainly highly sought after by some illicit drug users. And the pharmacy staff reportedly told police that this particular pharmacy, which is in New York, a rather doctor in New York, does not write paper prescriptions. So that was how they apparently knew that this was not a legitimate prescription. In other news, we have some business updates that aren't necessarily the happiest to share. Uh, Pet Value, which has a store, in the Creekside Marketplace Shopping Center in Lower Saucon has announced that they are closing all of their U.S. stores. That's about 350 stores nationwide, and a number of them are in the Lehigh Valley. The Lower Saucon store, Pet Value, only opened a couple years ago, so it's not really been a landmark retailer or anything like that. However, certainly many people shop there. They're having a big blowout sale as they prepare to close. If you drive by, you'll see all the signs in the windows. The company is apparently attributing the closing to COVID-19. However, industry analysts uh, questioned that and apparently indicated that, you know, things like their e-commerce platform and their store layouts as well um, could have been impacting the business in a negative way. 
it was likely a combination of things. The other business we reported on this week is Tower Health Urgent Care, which has a facility in the shops at Hellertown Shopping Center on Main Street in Hellertown. This urgent care facility is temporarily closed, and uh, some readers reported to us that this was actually closed as long ago as the spring. It's not really clear if it reopened at some point and then closed again. We reached out to Tower Health Public Relations for more information, and we'll certainly update the story if we get that. The sign posted on the door said that the Hellertown location was closed because the company needed to reallocate resources to some of its other facilities. Now, Tower Health is based in Berks County. They also own a number of hospitals in southeastern Pennsylvania, and they've been in the news this month for financial troubles. It was reported in the Philadelphia Business Journal and other publications that six of their hospitals lost something like $400 million in the last two years, and these are in the Philadelphia area. As a result, the credit rating for the company has been downgraded. And so that's certainly not good news for those that are hoping that the Hellertown Urgent Care Facility will reopen sometime. It was convenient for people that have the type of injury you might suffer at home, you know, if you're working on a project or if you needed a routine physical, the facility was open every day from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., 365 days a year. Now, certainly there are other urgent care facilities in the area. There is a facility on Route 309 in Center Valley and certainly in Bethlehem. So people have other options for urgent care, but nothing quite that close to home if you're in Hellertown. Traffic has been light for the most part, but at rush hour, it gets busier and bumpier on Route 378, but it's going to be less bumpy thanks to a repair that UGI was making on Route 78 northbound between Sidersville Road and Mountain Drive North. Now, this is heading up to the top of the mountain if you're going north on 378. UGI was doing work in the area and did a patch and this piece of concrete that was used, probably with the uh, temperature fluctuations that we've been seeing, which is normal for this time of year, the concrete sort of raised up above the surrounding road surface by several inches. And people were driving over this and damaging their tires There was a post about it on one of the next door neighborhood groups. I believe it was the Woodfields and Hickory Hill group. And a number of people said that their vehicles were damaged or nearly damaged, and they were warning other people, avoid, you know, driving in that lane. We brought it to PennDOT's attention and had a story about their response. And essentially that was that it was a UGI contractor that was doing the work in that area, and they would be out to fix it. As of Thursday, there were repairs done to the road in that area, and hopefully everything is fixed now. There are two lanes heading north in that section of 378, so the problem was in the right-hand lane. You'll see signage, too, in that area referring to steel plates. PennDOT said that the fix that UGI was going to implement right now was basically temporary for the winter months, and that they would be back in the spring to do a more permanent repaving and so that the road is smooth once again. 
that road certainly sees a lot of traffic and if it's there's something wrong with it you can pretty much be sure that people are going to start talking about it right away and to round things off we had a wonderful veterans day ceremony in hellertown this week veterans day was of course on wednesday november 11th the hellertown american legion held its annual ceremony in union cemetery and sock and source was there to cover the ceremony which included a lot of traditional elements patriotic music being sung by the hellertown lower Saucon community chorus the ceremony was led by legion commander eric Maday, and the guest speaker was former u.s marine jim king who lives in lower Saucon township and talked about his experiences of course Hellertown Mayor David Heinzelman was also a speaker, and it was a a moving half-hour ceremony. After that, all of the veterans who were present and their families were invited back to the Legion Hall for a luncheon that was provided by the Legion. We have uh, many photos of the ceremony on SockAndSource.com, and I'm sure you'll want to check that out. And we want to thank all of our veterans and recognize them for their service and sacrifice to our country. We appreciate you, not just on Veterans Day, but every day of the year. And lastly, in Fountain Hill, we reported on a Support the Police sign sale that is currently going on. These signs have become very popular this year in particular with many people wanting to show their support for police and the dangerous jobs that they do and the conflict that has occurred in the wake of George Floyd's death. There has been, you know, negative press, to say the least, about some police departments, but most police are professionals who risk their lives to protect total strangers every day. And it's important to remember that. And these signs do exactly that. The thing that's cool about the Fountain Hill Police Sign Fundraiser is that it also supports a local animal rescue organization called Paws to Freedom. Paws to Freedom is based in Fountain Hill, and they rescue dogs from kill shelters, animal control agencies, and individuals who might simply no longer be able to care for their pet. So the signs are available for $10 each. Uh, They're very attractive yard signs, and we have information in our story about how you can purchase them, which is either directly at the police department headquarters in Fountain Hill, or you can make arrangements to purchase a sign by messaging the Fountain Hill Police Officer Association Facebook page, and they will get right back to you. They also have a post about the signs up, which we embedded in the story. We thank them for doing that. Certainly the dogs are going to be thanking them for their support and for Pause to Freedom. And it's a win-win. So for all the uh, additional headlines, be sure to check SockAndSource.com. And now it's our pleasure to introduce you to one of our friends, a local celebrity, much bigger celebrity than uh, I'll ever be, certainly in the news business, Liz Kepner, who has transitioned from being a highly respected Philadelphia news anchor to being a professor at Penn State Lehigh Valley, where she is the director of multimedia innovation. And 
helping to mold the minds of the next generation of journalists. And that's certainly exciting to me. So I know you'll want to listen to that. Here at Sock and Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Sock and Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source, which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels, and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so, and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online, and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members, and thank you for considering becoming a future member. It's my pleasure to welcome this week's guest on No Rain Date, a Saucon Valley resident who remains a well-known name in the world of news in southeastern Pennsylvania and beyond, Liz Kepner. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Josh. Absolutely. It's, it's always a treat for me to be able to entice another journalist to be on the podcast because I love talking about what I do, and I know you do too. And I wanted to, to go back to, to that time or even before you were a journalist, you grew up in Pittsburgh. Tell us about you know how you first became interested in news. Were you following like news stories at a young age, or my parents, you know, always watched the news. Mm-hmm. You know, they still do. <laughs> they they probably know more newscasters these days than I do. So we we always grew up, you know, eating dinner and then watching the news together. We had the newspapers delivered, you know, at the time in Pittsburgh. I was a paper girl. That was one mm. of my first jobs, you know, the the afternoon paper. So we had, you know, news was just a big part of our family. Right. And, uh, and I really was always a storyteller. I think that's part of how I got into, you know, being becoming a, a journalist. But it was when I, when I was in high school, and it must have, one of my teachers probably knew this person, but Stan Saverin, who was a sports broadcaster in Pittsburgh, he came and spoke to my class, and I just got the bug. And we were big sports fans, you know, it was Pittsburgh. We're still Mm -hmm. big sports fans. Sorry, Eagles fans, but go Steelers. (laughs) No, baby. But we, you know, I just loved what he did. I loved the fact that he got to, you know, 
go to these games and go to events and tell these stories. And that was part of the reason why I was a cheerleader in high school, because I loved having that front row at all the games. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the one that was telling, you know, my friends, no, no, don't cheer here. We didn't score. They scored, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I really wanted to pursue sports broadcasting. And I picked West Virginia University, had a great J school, journalism mm-hmm. school. And I, the reason why I really liked it was a lot of the professors had been talent in Pittsburgh. You know, they had worked, you know, as reporters or anchors in Pittsburgh where, you know, I grew up watching the news. So um, they were professors of practice, which is what I'm doing now. You know, they were out in the field. So I felt like I really learned a lot. And I did, I was, they didn't have a TV station at WVU at the time when I was there in the 90s. But um, I joined the radio station and I was the assistant sports director for a couple years and and really my first job out of college that came eight months later, I was waitressing, you know, mm-hmm. driving my bulky resume tapes around to whoever would meet with me. But, you know, it was Zanesville, Ohio, where I got my huh. first job. And they had an AM, FM, and TV station. It was an NBC station. It was Market 204. It was super tiny. Yeah. I mean, but it was close to home. It was close enough. It was two hours so my parents could visit. I got to do radio and television. And I think that that was, that was really big because I was able to, you know, work on my writing Mm-hmm. and then writing for the different mediums. So, Plus, I could work on my voice. Didn't have to worry about what I looked like. <laughs> I could roll in, you know, in sweats and stuff to do the radio side. So it was, it was great, that experience. And then from Zanesville, I moved to Bluefield, West Virginia, which was another NBC affiliate, WVVA. I was there for a couple years, you know, reporting, anchoring, producing, writing, doing just about whatever they asked me to do. And then I had a friend who was getting married. She was from Nazareth. We were college friends. Mm-hmm. And so I, I came up for her wedding and I was staying with a, another friend of mine who I'd worked with in, in West Virginia, who I'm to this day still best friends with. I was staying with her and um, WFMZ had a job opening for a mm. weekend anchor. And so I managed to, I brought a resume tape with me on the airplane. I didn't have a suit. I had to go to Talbot's <laughs> and buy a suit. I had my interview on a Friday night. I went to her wedding afterwards and was offered the job on Monday. So that's wow. how I kind of ended up in the Lehigh Valley. And had you ever been here before that? Or? I hadn't. I hadn't. So that, it's funny, Josh, because when I was here, so that would have been, well, I started right after the millennium. So I think January 3rd was my Huh. first day but my friend's rehearsal dinner was at Bethlehem Brewworks which had just opened yes yeah and so wow. and apparently Main Street Bethlehem had just become what it is now that, gentrified yeah <laughs> basically basically so um I love the area I fell in love and I you know I really embraced the Lehigh Valley I, I lived in Bethlehem I live like across like very close to Billy's Diner and it was just great I could walk you know music fest was great when you're right. when you're young and 20 something yeah, yeah, that's when the you place don't need to, to live. sleep exactly yeah. when you don't mind having beer cans on your doorstep that that's the place to live so right. yeah I loved it and I worked at WFMZ those were four great years of my life you know I'm I'm still lucky enough I still have kind of a kind of a part-time gig there uh-huh. um, that I do a medical show every other month and so it's just, yeah. And, and it's grown so much since then, too. I cannot believe it. I, I'm, I'm so impressed. And I'll say this. I'm going to, you know, I want to give you all this credit, too, for <laughs> having a, 
having this news source here in Saucon Valley because I don't think people realize how important it is and how much you do and how lucky we are because you know I I teach I teach now and I tell my students you know there are news deserts where people don't have any any resources nobody the local news isn't covered and it's I worked in Philadelphia we'll get to that but you know, they hired me as the first Lehigh Valley bureau reporter and because they wanted somebody that lived in the Lehigh Valley that was able to, you know, tell the stories that people are talking about, that care about, you know, not just somebody that's coming in from another area. And when am I done? You know, what, what's the story? When am I done with my shift? Right. Uh, they want people that care about the stories they cover. So absolutely for you and WFMZ does the same thing. And, you know, there were a lot of new faces. I remember a lot of people. There, there are still some people that were there when I was there. But then there are also a lot of reporters that, you know, come and go. And, but I think, you know, overall, WFMZ is, you know, doing a, doing a great job covering the Lehigh Valley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Consistency is a big mm-hmm. part of it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you, I mean, they're really good with breaking news. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I mean. That's who you go to. <laughs> right. I, I do. Yeah. Well, I, it's you. And I'll go to Sock and Source. I'll go to WFMZ, Morning Call. And that's, you know, I mean, look at you competing with these legacy, you know, stations that have been around for ages and these papers that have been around for ages. But again, that's just important. So, yeah, so I happen to, you know, be at WFMZ and this hotshot comes from New York and he gets this reporting job. And all the girls at the station fall in love with this guy. And I thought he was kind of annoying. And then a year later, we ended up started dating. And, and you know, Scott, I didn't want to take his last name because I liked being Liz Kepner. My father told me once, always keep your last name in broadcasting so people remember who you are. Right. And so I thought it'd be a little weird if I was saying things like, I'm Liz Babishak. Now we go to Scott Babishak. You know, I just thought that was a little weird, even for like a small local TV station. So People are like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. So Scott and I got married and then he got a job out in Sacramento at the Fox TV station out in Sacramento. And so my contract was almost up and our agent sent my tape and they liked it. They hired both of us in the the ironic thing, Josh, was that the news director that hired us in Sacramento was the first producer at WFMZ. Yeah, Steve wow. Krasik, who we oh. absolutely adore. But anyway, so Brad, the news director at WFMZ, was, he said, God, he's taken two of my best. You know, two, I'm losing two to him because, but, it, you know, at least he's somebody that I liked. He's my old producer. So right. Steve was our news director in Sacramento. Being able to cover news out on the West Coast. Right. It was a real eye-opener. You did things like wildfires there mm-hmm. that, that you wouldn't do on the East Coast, probably. Absolutely. Wildfires were like the equivalent of the storm coverage, like the snow coverage that we had. Right. You know, that's what California had. But I didn't pack, I don't even think Scott packed anything. We didn't pack any boots or heavy coats. And then there was snow. We weren't far from Tahoe. So mm-hmm. there, you know, Sacramento was a really interesting place. And it, boy, did it have a lot of news going on. And here's something that you would be interested in and, and I, your listeners, when we interviewed police officials or fire officials, there was um, a police, he was the public information officer and he had a lighting kit set up in his office. 
So, I mean, that's how California it was. You'd go to interview him and like he would have these lights and then you would, you know, it was just, it was exactly what you would think when you think California, right? They were, they were really though, very nice and very open with the media. Yeah. Again, this was, um, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s. And so I remember once we had someone from the fire department, there was a big scandal, something had happened. And the person that we were interviewing actually left his son's birthday party on a Saturday to come and do an interview with us. So (laughs) just imagine that. Then I come back to Philly. (laughs) I come back to Philly and, and, you know, Jim Martin, who was the DA at Lehigh County, you know, he wouldn't give anything away. So it was a really interesting look at the way East Coast and West Coast news was covered. So yeah, I would I would enjoy that level of media savviness. Yeah. You know, I it mean, was. it was it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, here here we're, we're more likely to run into like you know a township that's not used to any media coverage, right. Right. and then right. they they automatically put up you know their defenses. They shut down, right? Right. Well, they think you're the bad guy, but you're really not. That's the thing. Everybody thinks that, you know, well, we know where we've gotten to with, with this fake news. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's a shame that journalists are looked down upon because they're very important. And where would we be without people covering these events that are going on, especially local events and, and things that are getting overlooked by mm-hmm. these bigger out news outlets? You know, that's... I. I Thank you for saying that. I can't say that. <laughs> no, I'll keep your praises all day. But yeah, it's really important. Yeah. So. Well, I like to think what I do is important. I it mean, is. You know, you just put yourself in the reader's position. What yep. I what I want to know this, what I need to know this. And it's, it's not rocket science, but it's hard work for mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely. Um, did you ever, just going back a little bit, did sure. you ever want to work in Pittsburgh? I did. your hometown? I did. You know, it's so funny that you asked me that because so after we, so we're in California and then our agent said, you know, you guys probably, you know, I could get you to San Francisco and we had really good friends in San Francisco and, and we were really excited. We were living, you know, close to Napa and wine country and, and he said, just don't get pregnant. And then I got pregnant, mm-hmm. <laughs> like two months into living yeah. there. So, um, you know, after we had Sophie, we, I was really the driving force. I, I said to Scott, you know, we got to be, we got to be home with our family. We've got to go back to the East Coast. He, Sophie was the first grandchild for both families and he's an only child. So his poor mother, you know, mm. we are living all the way across the country. You know, we packed up our cats, our three cats and our four month old. And we drove cross country without jobs and everything. And just hoping for the best, moved back into the Lehigh Valley, moved into the townhome that we had built, that we had been renting. And that's kind of how we ended up back here because we got married here in the Lehigh Valley too. This The Lehigh Valley really is our second home. But when I got my job at CBS3 in Philly, I had applied for a job in Pittsburgh. You know, along the way, when we were driving back cross country, we stopped and met with a couple news directors. And they didn't have anything open. It was just one of those things that a lot of, you know, reporters and anchors do where you try to, you know, meet with the news directors to see, you know, if they like you. We're in Kansas City, so (laughs) why not? (laughs) Why not? So we we had met with a news director in Pittsburgh, and I thought, oh, my God, this would be wonderful. And so then I got my job with CBS3 in Philly. You know, here I am in Market 4, right? This is like I had started in Market 204, one of the smallest TV markets in the country, and now I'm in the fourth largest television market. 
and and I loved it. And my agent called and said, there's a TV station in Pittsburgh that is interested in hiring you as the morning weekend anchor. And I remember being very excited. Now I was under contract at CBS3, but um, I remember saying something to my mom. My mom and dad had still lived in Pittsburgh at the time. They're here now, but my mom said, Liz, what are you doing? You're not leaving Philadelphia. You're not coming back here. You're big time right now. You right. Know? You're, you're in Philadelphia. And I, it was funny because I, I wasn't going to leave. But it was one of those things where I, that's probably if I had any regrets. Like I have a lot of friends that have gone on to work at the Weather Channel, QVC, WNBC in New York, big, you know, big stations and big corporations. And I never had any of those aspirations. I, I really, you know, I really liked what I did. I, but I, Pittsburgh's probably my one regret. I never got to work in my hometown. So that would have been really fun, but you know, it didn't happen. And wah, poor me, <laughs> poor me that I was, it, you know, it, I think Pittsburgh at the time was like market 22. So right. here I was in market four. So it was one of those things where I, I didn't, I didn't get upset that much, but it, you know, that would have been cool. But that's funny that you asked that. It just seems, and maybe it's just me imagining this, but like, there's something in terms of like TV news, a little special when you have a hometown boy or girl, like they have that certain sparkle to the stories that you can't, if you're not from there. You're rubbing it in, you're digging, no, 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 you're making just... me cry. <laughs> Like I'm going back to Pittsburgh and trying to get a job. No, you're right. Isn't it great when you see somebody that right. Right, grew up in that area that they're covering and they do care and their families are there and their families are so excited. And, you know, that's, I think that it's, it's, it's funny because my father, you know, my, I like to say my dad has always been my biggest fan. And so that would have been really exciting for my dad. Mm -hmm. So now when my parents, they've since moved to Hellertown, they, they live in Cobble Creek. But you know, when I do this WFMZ show that airs, you know, my dad and mom watch it or they tape it and watch it, you know, and I think that's my equivalent of them, you know, watching me and, you know, on television, had I been on Pittsburgh, you know, right. in Pittsburgh on TV for me, that's kind of it. You know, my mom said once, you know, Oh, poor Sophie. She'll never get to see you. You know, you retired from TV too early. She, she'll never get to see you on TV. Meanwhile, she hasn't watched any of my WFMZ shows. You know, <laughs> She's like a teenager. They don't really watch television and they don't get their news from TV. You know, they, she, that, that age group, I mean, she'll be 16 next week. And, you know, she gets a lot of her news, you know, from Twitter and from social media, TikTok, Snapchat. So, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine. She's very news savvy she's very media literate and well, so i don't care where she gets her news from as long as she gets it and right reads it so yeah no that's that, i was going to ask you about about her but a little bit later <laughs> sure i wanted to talk a little bit about philly you know the philly market and i mean philly has been in the news in the past week my goodness like with the election it kind of came down to philly which was super exciting in a way, especially given the city's history and its reputation. Right, right. You know, it's kind of got this like tough, mm -hmm. scrappy, you know, streetwise, yeah. you're not going to mess with me. It's that kind of a town. Did you find that to be true when you were working there, that it that really is that kind of place? And I loved Philadelphia. I, it, you know, one of the things, like I commuted. So that was, I okay. never lived in Philly, but it was because we had, our daughter was young. She, right. My husband was working at the time in Bridgewater, New Jersey. So we had a ba really wonderful babysitter. And so 
when I first started working at CBS3, I was hired as the Lehigh Valley Bureau reporter. And I did that for a couple years. And then I was moved up to the weekday morning anchor. Mm-hmm. And then so that w- with Yuki Washington, who's just fabulous and he's wonderful. Yeah. And now he's the, you know, the evening anchor. But when I covered stories in Philadelphia, again, it was having the experience that I did with WFMZ, because a lot of times when I was working at WFMZ before, you would run into Philadelphia reporters. You know, you would cover stories in right. Morristown or Bucks County and these, you know, big stories. So it was in, very intimidating at first because, you know, these reporters, I remember once when I was at WFMZ and I remember interrupting a person that was speaking to get my question in. And boy, did I hear it from one of the reporters. And you know, at the time, I, I probably had a bruised ego but I think about it, you know, and I know I thought about it a lot afterwards. She saved me from, you know, that was when I was, you know, right. very green. And so I never made those mistakes when I got to the bigger, big leagues, I guess you could say. But it really, covering news in Philadelphia, I mean, there are a lot of stories that, that take place. A lot of politics. <laughs> oh, yeah. You deal with a, a lot of, uh, you know, different um uh, which, how should I say, like, when I was, you know, like I mentioned with the police when you were out in Sacramento, how they were very uh, progressive thinking, where they just gave, they give you the news releases. They post them on their website, which was right. very new. And then you would just have to, to drag information out of, you know, I remember interviewing the DA and, and, and different detectives and, you know, it was really hard to get information. So there's definitely, there was definitely a struggle, but it made you harder. It was, right. it You're made standing you... outside the courthouse in the dark. It's like 10 <laughs> yeah. degrees right. Right. in Pennsylvania right. and in California, right. they're like right. wine and cheese, you know, for everybody. <laughs> right. Which, by the way, people, this is funny. And I was just telling my, my daughter this the other day. She still doesn't understand how football games on Sundays in California would start at 10 o'clock in the morning. So I didn't get that either. And, and sometimes you would miss you would miss a game because you wouldn't wake up in time, you know, if you were East Coast, if you grew up with that your entire life. But at their tailgates, they had things like quiche and champagne wow. and mimosas, where I'm used to tailgates in Pittsburgh, you know, for Steelers games, you know, bratwurst and, and hoagies and just sandwiches and beer and, you know, gross beer and nothing like mimosas. So, and, and Philly's the same type of town, you know, right. Philly and Pittsburgh, as much as they don't want to be sometimes, they're very similar. It's the same mindset, blue collar, but it's, you know, it's fun to see Philly in the spotlight and for such a positive reason. And I just, uh, we're re- and again, I always say we're really lucky that here in the Lehigh Valley, we can get to Philly, right. you know, so easy. Just, you know, drive down and hopefully the Schuylkill's fine. You don't run into traffic, <laughs> but um, just the, you know, the concerts and the, and the you know, the games and, and all these different things that we get to experience. Yeah. No, so I love Philly and I wish I, I got there more often. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, when I was younger, my aunt and uncle lived in uh, Chestnut Hill, that oh, area okay. and Mountie area. And it's just so nice to walk around, it especially is. this time of year. Yeah, yeah. Actually now they live in Pittsburgh. Though. Oh wow. Look so, at that. So they went, yeah, they did the Philly huh, to Pittsburgh They did the thing. opposite. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And my dad was born in Pittsburgh too. Actually, really? So I have some ties. I bet he was born in McGee Women's Hospital. That's where everybody was born in Pittsburgh. Well... You'll have to check. I know he lived in... They moved back to New York when he was a baby. Okay. Because my grandmother was from New York, and she didn't like Pittsburgh. It was too small. Oh, too small. (laughs) Of course, right, compared to New York. Right. Right. She was a a native New Yorker, and nothing else would do. No, no. Um, They're still like that, by the way. I have friends that won't even, you know, they live uptown. They won't even come downtown. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think they lived in Washington Heights or Washington, uh, Mount Washington. Mount Washington. Yeah. Yeah. So they would always talk about the inclines and everything. Yes. I love all of those, all of the, the landmarks in Pittsburgh. I've brought so many friends, you know, to everything. You know, we have to ride the Duquesne incline. We have to have a Permani sandwich. We have to go Mm -hmm. to the Pittsburgh Zoo. We have to go down to the point Maybe the regatta will be going on. You know, it's, I love Pittsburgh. Now you're making me very sad. I'm starting to think about it again. But we're going to meet friends. You know, everybody's plans this summer didn't happen. And one of them, we were going to meet our friends that live in Seattle. Our families were going to meet in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. We get to go, go to a Pirates game, go to the Warhol Museum, do the incline, the Permani sandwich. The tourist thing, yeah. yeah. It, it never gets old for me. It right. never, ever gets old for me, the Pittsburgh... Um, and then we, of course, you know, we try to, I try to talk my daughter into going to college there. So Ooh. we'll see. I don't know. She's very independent. She, we'll, we'll see if she wants to go to Pitt or Carnegie Mellon or any of the, you know, good schools that they have there. So we'll see. Right. Going back a little bit to when you, when you worked at CBS3 and, and you, you were a reporter and you were an anchor mm-hmm. at different times, mm-hmm. like... Did you ultimately prefer one of those jobs over another or, you know, and were they super different or as far as? I think that I, you know, I always enjoyed being a reporter because you've got to talk to people and you got to tell their stories. But I also enjoyed anchoring as well because I got to work with great people like Yuki Washington, mm-hmm. uh, Bob Kelly, who's now, you know, he's the traffic guy at, at Fox 29 in Philly. Maria LaRosa, who is, she was at the Weather Channel, and she's one of my best friends. She was at the Weather Channel in Atlanta, and now she decided she wanted to be closer to her family. She's at WNBC. She sometimes fills in on the Today Show in the morning, doing the morning weather on the weekends. But I got to work with really great people. They made it so much fun. I got to interview so many different people when I was an anchor. So that was, mm-hmm. that was I think, the beauty of, of anchoring and being that first real blast of news for people when they woke up in the morning. I mean, I've been out of the business. I retired. My husband says I semi-retired, but I retired from TV in 2010. Hmm. And I still, it's 2020, I still hear from people who watched me when I was, you know, in Philly. And I still hear from people that watched me when I was in WFMZ. A friend of mine who is one of my Bar 3 instructors, her husband works for the state police. He said, they used to watch you all the time. They turned you on in the morning. So that was really, you know, when I hear that kind of stuff, it makes me so happy Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, that that I at least brought some kind of either, you know, entertainment or, you know, education into people's lives, you know, in the morning. But uh, I don't miss getting up at two o'clock every morning, driving down to Philadelphia. That commute was, you know, they didn't even have podcasts around at that time. I, you know, like I would be listening to podcasts like crazy. I would be, that would be wonderful. They didn't even have Sirius or XM. So I was listening to the radio. And so, and then driving back on the Schuylkill on the way home, you know, stuck in traffic putting down the window and slapping my face to try to keep myself up. So <laughs> The shore kill. Yeah, exactly. So I, I like doing both, and I'm so, I'm so glad I feel so blessed that I was able to. But yeah. I think that that's part of the, the mindset that you get when you first start out in the business. Because when I worked in Zanesville, I mean, we wrote our, you know, we found our own stories. 
we had to go out and shoot them. We had to edit them. We right. had to put together our newscast. I mean, I was anchoring the weekends. I would get up at 5.30 in the morning and I would do news for the radio. And then I would go out and report. <laughs> and then I was, you know, putting together the show for the six and anchor. I mean, you were doing every single job. And so you become more valuable when you know how to do these things. And that's what I tell my students, you know, the more you know how to do, you can look at it one way. You can be, oh, the more you get abused, you know, the more they, they send you out, but you're just more valuable. And plus you end up maybe finding things you like better and finding mm-hmm. things that you don't like, you know, you might like producing more, you might like writing more. I have good friends that are assignment desk editors. They're the ones that sift through all the stories. You know that mm-hmm. it's, it's important to make sure that you're, looking through the news and or the the press releases that you're getting and you're you know saying is this news yeah it's there's a lot of you know with journalism and with broadcast journalism what i did not, nothing's ever the same every day mm-hmm. is different so that's really that's that's the exciting thing never it was never the same and i worked in so many different you know cities and small towns that you know i just the people that i met along the way it was just i thank god for you know, social media that I can still keep in touch with people that I knew in Zanesville and people I worked with in, in Bluefield, West Virginia and in right. Sacramento. You know, it's just great. Right. And I think, yeah, I think that's really interesting to, to get your perspective on that because I never worked in, you know, TV mm-hmm. news mm-hmm. Or, prod, or broadcasting. And, you know, I, I think it would be cool to be part of a team, mm-hmm. you know, the anchor team. Absolutely. Kind of, I, I've seen that because I've been yep. on the set of like Channel 69 mm-hmm. News mm-hmm. and you know, I often tell people, you know, being a reporter can be lonely, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, especially absolutely. when your print is just like you and the, the blank page, you know. Kind oh, of. my God. Well, you know, oh, Josh, oh, I feel so bad. <laughs> Not that I want right pity, now. but I mean. I'll come around with you. Okay, when you I'm have to write, you can't really have distractions right. around you. So. Well, you know. when I was in Zanesville, Ohio, I remember Columbus was like the big station that was nearby. So that was really cool because, you know, it was the Columbus reporters. And there was a tree at a, you know, these are the stories that you would cover in Zanesville, Ohio. They were picking the tree for the White House at this farm. And so, you know, we all covered it. It was a big deal. And I had to shoot my own story. And you had reporters there, you know, with their videographers. You had print reporters with their photographers back in the day, you know, Mm -hmm. back in the 90s where, you know, reporters weren't asked to do everything. You know, they had the person that was really good at taking pictures was the one, you know, that was taking the pictures. So I remember there was somebody even with a boom mic. And I thought, here I am just by myself doing everything, hoping that the camera doesn't fall off the tripod, you know. But, um, you know, you work your way up and you're right. It is a team because your video, I've worked with so many talented videographers and boy, can they make or break you they can you know elevate your writing the good ones start being able to know how you write and they'll make sure that they get the shots that you need yeah and just you know it's it's always it's always teamwork but i get it with print it's it it does feel different because Mm -hmm. you don't have that kind of partner um you don't have that person that's kind of sitting you know and 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 telling you oh okay i'm gonna go over here when you go over here you know you're in charge of everything so yeah and then, you know, I do occasionally cover like a big story, you know, like mm-hmm. I think the last one where I was, where it was like a press junket was like the, the guy that planted all the bombs around Upper Bucks County. God, Remember that? Right. Yes. Yikes. And there was a huge news conference in Quakertown, I think, or Richland Township. Right. And everybody was there from Everyone. the Philadelphia yeah. market. 
And first of all, some of these people are like super tall, you know, like, <laughs> like Walter Perez or whatever. Yeah, I mean, oh, like, Walter, yeah. I'm yeah. intimidated enough as it is, like, <laughs> you know. Funny? You don't have to be tall. It's funny because Walter was great. So Stacy Stoffer, she was Stacy Weaver at the time. She was the NBC 10 Bureau reporter. She's one of my best friends. But Walter was the Channel 6. He was 6ABC. So we all kind of, you know, we, you became friends with people that, you know, you were covering stories with. Yeah. So, you know, there was a competition, but then there was also a camaraderie because we were all in it together. But yeah, I, th- well, that was the thing. Like, you were around all these, that's how I felt when I was in WFMZ. I was very intimidated, but yeah. uh, I learned from it. So then you start learning, okay, I can, I can hang with these big boys, so. Yeah, no, if, I'm sure if I did it more often, yeah. they're just, you know, isn't a lot of news like that going on in Saucon Valley lately, <laughs> which you probably noticed. In a way, thank God for that. <laughs> it Yes, yeah. I mean, that's true. Yeah. But this has been, I mean, a crazy news year everywhere, 2020, yeah. I mean, because of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. None of us ever covered anything like that before. Do you ever, like, have... have and the election, of course. Did you ever find yourself thinking, wow, I wish, you know, it's such an exciting time and you're watching history in a way, even though it's not good news. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, that's something that motivates me, you know, to keep going. And I think because, so I, I, I joked one time that the only time I missed working in television when was when I saw Jane Goodall was at CBS three doing a you know oh. a press junket and I was devastated. I love Jane Goodall, so yeah. that really made me upset. That was the only time. <laughs> uh, otherwise, you know, I'm fine. I, I I told this story before too. You know, Thanksgiving. You know, when you're when you are a journalist, you you work whenever there are stories. So your days there were days there was a horrible snowstorm. In fact, it might have been 20, 2010. but. It, or maybe it was 2009, I can't remember, but it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I was away from my daughter was young. I was away from my family for like a week. They put us up in hotels. You weren't, Chris Christie was the governor. Cause I remember of New Jersey, I remember interviewing him in some kind of truck stop, but it was, you know, you were working nonstop. Mm-hmm. Just the news doesn't stop. So holidays, weekends, nights, you know, Memorial Day was never a holiday for me. It was just a Monday in May. And Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. the funny story was the, my husband had been a reporter. And then so he, he got out of the business and I was working for CBS 3 and it was Thanksgiving. And my, my mom and Scott's mom were in the kitchen starting the turkey. And I was covering the Easton Phillipsburg game for okay. CBS 3, you know, the rivalry. And it was freezing. It was cold. The smell of turkey was in the house. And my husband said, I am so glad I'm not in television news anymore. (laughs) And he just went back to bed. (laughs) And so that's, I think that that's kind of my thing is that I watch in awe of people covering these news stories. I also feel really bad for journalists right now because there's this idea that they're enemies. The things that are said at at these rallies to these reporters that are doing their job, I, I don't know how, how I would respond. I'm pretty emotional. I couldn't even be a poll I couldn't even be a poll watcher because I knew I knew my I knew myself. I, right. I knew that I just I couldn't my husband was one and he was really good, but um I just know I get too emotional. And so I watch these I watch journalists these days. Like I think about, you know, the, the White House press corps and, and just how frustrating sometimes that, that would be because things have changed. 
And so I don't really regret it. I don't, there's never a time that I, I look back and, and maybe it's because I, I still teach, you know, Uh I teach now at Penn State Lehigh Valley, but I, so I'm able to, you know, still use my classical training, but um, I'm constantly, you know, looking to see how things have changed so that my students are prepared when they enter journalism as it is now, you know, it's not the same as it was when I was, you know, working in the business. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I I mean, I remember covering a a McCain Palin rally in 2008 at Stabler. And there was a lot of animosity towards the news media at that. Even then. Even then. And it's like 10 times worse now. I did not cover the the Trump rally in uh, Hanover Township, but that was really because of COVID. Okay. Yeah. You know, and it was live streamed, of course. So there was no need, um, really. But yeah, I mean, we've heard reports of reporters assaulted, and yeah. you know, yeah. no, you know, nobody should should endure yeah. that for doing their job. They're just doing their jobs. Yeah, that's um, that's the thing that is upsetting. I think, as a journalist, and that's something that I, you know, again, I tell my students is that it's important. You know, journalism is important. You know, if you think about muckrakers, you know, right. that were climbing through the muck to get to the bottom of the story, you know, that President Roosevelt, you know, that was like a, a, they were, it was a bad name for them, but that's, they didn't think it was a bad, you know, these muckrakers, thank God for them because they exposed things. So it's, I think that nowadays when you have a reporter, an investigative journalist that does a story and really exposes something, Thank God we have them, but there's still doubt. There's always this doubt now cast on whether it's credible or reputable, and um, it shouldn't be that way. I f- you know? Yeah, I feel like people don't understand the basic concept of accountability mm-hmm. and how it works for public figures, right. especially because I've already reported stories, and you know the reaction is kind of like, "Oh, you're picking on that person." Oh. <laughs> you know, oh, where do you no. go from there? Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. they don't even have a fr- you know no. a framework no. with it, you know. For that to make sense, so, like, uh, uh, that's that's upsetting, it's you know. Frustrating too. Because you know, I hold myself accountable to mm-hmm. the community, mm-hmm. you know. So I think that you know, the, the other people that are serving it should be accountable, and you know, we're certainly not out to go after you know John Q. Public, you know. Right. But there's examples of this in the media all the time, and 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 social media, I think, has just corrupted people's thought processes and it's eroded a lot of their trust. So I have a question for you. Okay, I'm turning the tables on you right now. So sock and source, I, I, it's great. I, I look at it all the time. I'm very close to getting rid of my Facebook because if it wasn't for things like sock and source or New York times cooking community or Mm -hmm. some of these, you know, groups that I'm part of, I probably wouldn't be on it anymore because it just seems so toxic. Uh, you know, I rarely see any of the good stuff, you know, the fun stuff that, um, I think, I, I hope that that's why, you know, was even created, but some media outlets are closing comment sections and they aren't even allowing people to comment. And I'm just curious if you ever considered that, just not allowing people to comment. I know that the comments are so that it's there's engagement between you and your, your readers. Um, you mean on Facebook? Yeah, right. let's just say Facebook. Because I know that, you know, it, it's... But it seems like sometimes it's really ugly. Right. You know, that, and, and it, it hasn't it, always been that way. No, I know. I mean, for the first few years, easily... That I had sock and source. I mean, the comments were pretty, you know, respectful or yeah. I mean, interesting. 
Right. There was just a big variety of comments on Facebook. We did have comments on the website, too, originally, but we found that people just yeah. wanted to comment on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. So did away with those. And, yeah, I mean, that's a tough one yeah. because we're trained to, you know, first of all, you know, yeah, if I'm if I'm asking for accountability and transparency, you know, I kind of feel like I need to have, you know, make myself subject to those things and, and allowing comments as part of that. But on the other hand, you know, if the quality is such that it's, you know, affecting, you know, other readers, I, I want our community online to be welcoming. Yep. And, you know, I made a statement earlier this year that, you know, that we weren't going to tolerate, you know, racist comments. In particular, this was right. after George Floyd. Yes. And there were people that yeah. didn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, gee, I wonder why. Um, <laughs> do and, you get feedback if you delete comments? Do people reach out to you and, and yell at you for deleting comments? Because Certainly you if you delete to, yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm much more likely to hide them. Okay. And probably other publishers do the same right. thing. But the issue with that is, like, there are, there's just the volume of comments. Right. You know, like, we don't have time to moderate them to, like, the, the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd almost have to, like, pay somebody, mm-hmm. like, to do it for, like, hours a day. And right. who would even want right. to do that? Right. Like, oh, God. They need to go to therapy every day. <laughs> right. They, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and they'd be paid a lot, yeah, too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think about this daily. You know, it's... it's really a current problem and and it needs to be dealt with but i need more help from facebook for one thing right you know they right. they have not been a good partner right. for a lot of us publishers right. yep. and i you know there was a time when i was in a facebook group for publishers of all sizes i eventually left it because i found you know people were you know venting frustrations and you know sharing ideas and and they, they it wasn't an honest group. They weren't like, you know, responsive to our concerns about things. You know, they would just be ignored or whatever. So like, you know, I'm like, what's the point of being in this group? That's, that's been frustrating. You know, like I depend on Facebook for, you know, traffic to my site. Absolutely. And it's sort of like, you know, I feel like it's a deal with the devil in Mm -hmm. in some ways. If I were going to start Sock and Source today, Mm -hmm. I would, try to start it in a way that, you know, didn't rely so much on Facebook traffic. Right. In 2014, Facebook was friendlier. Right. So, <laughs> so I, and I couldn't have foreseen, you know, I don't yeah. think where things were going to go totally. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I mean, we're still writing this, this <laughs> chapter, yeah, you know, exactly. in Sock and Source yeah. history and in media history. Yeah. But that's a great question. I'd love to find a solution (laughs) so you and a lot of other people i'm sure yeah you're like you said you're not alone in this it's it just seems like do you put the clickbait out there sometimes you know it's i I get disappointed when i see a newspaper that you know they put a story on their facebook page just to get people to click on it you know you just know it and maybe i don't know maybe it's because i'm a journalist but i know there's no good reason for that story to be there and, and I, you know the comments are going to be toxic. Mm-hmm. And you know that it's it's just going to rile people up. And so, 
and and then there's a paper in Pittsburgh that's been doing that. It's just I just know, and I I can't stop myself. I you know I should just stop following them, but I can't because there's every now and then there's a great story. Right. <laughs> you know, it's news that I grew up with, and and so it's just one. I feel like it's so irresponsible. But then I think, well, do they need the advertising dollars? Do they need the clicks? Do they need the traffic? And so I think you've done a great job in, you know, really covering the things that are going on and not just putting things out there. I'm sure people say, and I've seen it, oh, Josh, why are you putting this story out there? I, I, I've seen those comments in the Sock and Source comment section. And I think that, you know, good for you. Put those stories out there. You know, you're not, you're not just doing it to try to get clicks. You, you have a real hard time, you know, deciding, should I put this out there? Should I not? So I think, yeah, and that, I mean, that brings me to another subject. I mean, I think people aren't even honest with themselves about what kind of news they're reading. Like, I'll, I'll get complaints. You never publish any good news. You never publish any, you know, thing in depth, right. you know. But those same people are going to click on, you know, every every crime know, story. I know, every, I know. You know, I know. Um, they're not boycotting right, it. Right, right. Well, there were stations. It's not positive. I worked at stations where, and I've even, I remember NBC 10 did something years ago where they did like a half hour of just good news, right? Yeah. And it didn't work. Isn't right. that terrible? So it's us. Are we the beast? I mean, obviously, they're trying to say, okay, look, here here's a format we're going to try. So people are going to like it because we don't want to cover it. We don't want to see any of this bad news, but then people don't watch it. So then it stops. They go back to the old way of it bleeds, it leads and covering shootings and fires and, you know, destruction. And so that's the thing. I, I, when I, I remember one, a news director, when I was in West Virginia had said, you know, viewer benefit, every story should have a viewer benefit. Who's your audience. And that's, you know, when I look at news stories, I try to remember that, you know, what is the point of this story? Right. You know, who is the audience? And it might be, I have nothing, you know, I might not be interested in it. It might not be something. So I'll just scroll by. I don't need to look at it and then comment. I think people, social media gives people that power. They feel this, uh, you know, power that they can comment on something that they really shouldn't. And, you know, it's, it's, it's upsetting. It really yeah. is. I, I don't know how. Um, First of all, if you're, yeah, at least read the story before you exactly, do that. Exactly, exactly. Um, well, media know. literacy, number one. Don't just get emotional by looking at the title. I tell my students that's one of the first things we do in our mass media and society classes. And I'm guilty of it myself. I have, you know, I have shared or retweeted a story because I felt emotion, such oh, yeah. emotion, before I've even read the entire article. And so I, I, I make sure to tell them, you know, I am guilty of it too. You know, that's the thing. Look at the, look at the author. Where are they from? How, you know, when is this, when, when was this written? It could have been written, you know, years ago and it's out there. And, and, and you know, what, what's the point of this story? Is there a bias? Is there a slant? You know, I just think that there are a lot of kids that are hopefully, you know, doing critical analysis or critical thinking when they are looking at these stories before they decide to post something or share it or retweet it. Right. You know, and that's that's all I mean, you can hope for. Look at the the name of the publication that appears. Right. Right. Like, is it is America it, First News right, dot com? Right. Right. I've never right, heard of that. Right. 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 You know. Yeah. Yeah. What Maybe is I that? should like you know Google this and like see if there's an NBC News story right, about it. Right. And watch because make sure it's not NBC dot. CO or right. you know, I mean, there's so many tricks out there now. It's tough. It really is tough being media literate. It it's not I shouldn't say it's tough. It's just it's more work. You yeah. have to if and I think that that's when you are looking for your news. And it's okay if you, you know, always I think these lines are, you know, there there are definitely biased news outlets. We know that. 
but sometimes the lines cross, you know, and, um, but it's okay to, to, to read something. And if it's from maybe, you know, a, a biased news source, but then find another article that is from somebody else. And if it matches up, then it most likely was, was true. It happened, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, so that's, it, again, do people want to do that extra work? Or do they just want to, you know, write something horrible in the comment sections? You know, it really makes you wonder what the goal is, the end game of, of going on social media and looking at news. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So. I think this is a fascinating topic. Mm -hmm. and, and I'd love to yeah. take a media literacy <laughs> class myself because I think it would just be, I, I think I, I would learn some things yeah. in it too. I mean, I've, I've certainly tweeted things yeah. that were, I shouldn't have or mm -hmm. shared stories. Um, tell us a little bit more. Uh, you know, just to close out what, sure. about what, what you're doing at, at Penn State and, you know, really helping the next generation of, sure. of journalists. So when I, des I decided to leave television, you know, I had a great job. I'm very lucky that I was able to, you know, just leave on my own, decide to retire because a lot of people aren't afforded that. And it's, it's a real shame. But I, you know, my daughter was young at the time. My hours were crazy and I just, just didn't feel healthy. I still get up in the middle of the night, you know, I still have problems sleeping and that was wow. 10 years ago. But I always had worked, you know, weird shifts in my career. One of the things that when I left television, I thought, I want to teach because again, that was, I learned the most in college from my teachers who had been out there in the field. You know, the, the, the professors who, you know, maybe weren't in academia, mm -hmm. uh, that, that hadn't, you know, been in the classroom all that long, the ones who had been out there and that had experienced things. And so that's what I wanted to do. So I had first, I, I first taught at Lehigh in their MBA program. I was an adjunct for a business communication course. I co-taught with another professor and that was really great. It was very throwing into the fire type of thing where I had never done that. And you're up against 75, you know, 75 students who are all brilliant. And then I'm trying to tell them how to talk, you know? Yeah. And so that was, uh, that was definitely scary at first, but I, I, I started to really enjoy it. And so I did that for uh, about um, three or four semesters. And then this position came open at Penn State Lehigh Valley. And we had um, a chancellor at the time who was very forward thinking and she knew video was the future. And so uh, I, I interviewed and got the job. I was hired as a professor of practice. I've since got my master's in digital journalism. You know, I teach courses in the corporate communication realm and mm -hmm. the degree program. We have a super strong corporate communication degree program at Penn State Lehigh Valley. But I, you know, mass media and society, effective speaking, uh, intercultural communication. And I think that my job is to, again, show where we were, you know, how we started and how important it is. You know, I, I always like to throw journal. I tell my students, journalism is my favorite chapter, you know, of my <laughs> mass media class that I'm teaching right now. But I, I, you know, I show them how, just how important it is, you know, the, look at what they exposed, you know, the, the things that, that these appalling conditions at these meatpacking industries, mm -hmm. and, you know, the meatpacking industry in Chicago, you know, we, we're still doing that now. There are journalists that are still exposing. I mean, look at the movie Spotlight, you know, and um, mm -hmm. so there, there are things, journalists aren't the villains, <laughs> right. you know, and, and, and I do, I, I do say that there, there is mistrust of the media sometimes. I, I can see why people have felt there have been a lot of, you know, there, there have been things that have happened over the decades <laughs> that, you know, have happened that probably people lost their trust in journalists. But um, 
I don't think you should throw in the towel. I think that, you know, it's important that they realize how important journalism is, especially local journalism, like what you're doing. I'm being completely serious. So that's, you know, what I, at Penn State Lehigh Valley, I, um, you know, I teach these communication courses. Some of my students, I teach a, teach a effective speaking course. You know, some of my kids love it. Some of them hate it. And I, the reviews are, you know, mostly positive. But then every now and then you'll get a, a student that will say something like, what did you not like about the class? And then it's doing speeches. And that's the class, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help you out there. But, um, you know, I think that's another, you know, public speaking is one of those things. Penn State, all Penn State students are required to have a public speaking course. Huh. So it's funny because I teach two summer courses online and I have a lot of students from the different campuses that are in their last semester. You know, they've waited to the right. very end. And so they, you know, they really pushed it off. But I, I try to tell people, you know, you could have a wonderful idea, but if you don't know how to communicate it, why why even have it? So right. if you're going up in front of, you know, once you leave college and you have, you, you know, let's just say you have this, you're an entrepreneur and you have this great idea. So you're asking this board for money and you can't communicate it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, just think about it, how upsetting that is. So it's, it's easy. Sometimes I've had students, well, it's easy for you. You were on television. You know how to talk, but I still get nervous. I still get, you know, when I'm speaking in front of people, it, it never goes away and it's good to have those nerves, but it's, it's really important to be a good communicator. You yes. know, it really is. And whether that's speaking to somebody or writing something, my sister is just a beautiful writer. I mean, she's a English teacher at Brockle and hmm. she just that's is my alma mater. Is it really? Yeah. Oh my God. That's wonderful. She's, she's just, I mean, she's just incredible. She's an eighth grade English teacher, but She's just such an incredible writer. She's really good at that. And she, but she hates being in front of a camera, you know, like that. She hates it. And it's so funny because, you know, and she's so personable and everything. But man, when she has to deliver something, she just, she, she'll send me text messages. And, and so I just think that, um, you know, it's, if you're a commun- a good communicator in, in any way, it's how important it is. To- yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree, and I, I applaud Penn State for having that as a requirement because yeah. I think probably more places should consider I doing agree. that. I agree. It's only going to help yeah. students. Yeah. And even if you get something little from it, even if it's just something small that you take that, that I've taught you, that's important to me. You know, I just want you to, to just if it's, you know... If it's, you know, making sure to go to the bathroom before you do your speech, you know what I mean? Like, so you're not, or, you know, it's just like something small that you can take with you that you will, you know, I always say mistakes. We all are going to make mistakes, but it's how you, you know, how you pick yourself up after that mistake. No one's going to remember that, you know, self-importance. No one's going to remember you doing that. It's just how you react and respond to it. That's going to make the difference. That's what's impressive. Mm -hmm. Somebody that slides don't work or their microphone doesn't work. Instead of getting all upset and they... They move past it, move past it and keep going. And, and that to me is, that's impressive. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I find I have to r- really write things out. And before I, I speak and I try and do that for the podcast a lot, yeah. but that's probably because I don't have much of a background in public speaking, you know, so to speak extemporaneously is yeah, yeah. 
tricky sometimes, but, but practice help. does help. Yeah. <laughs> Research helps. And taking yeah. your class will probably help too. <laughs> I'm going to sign you up for classes next semester. <laughs> I'll find about all the things I, I should have been doing the last 15 years that I'm not doing. I promise you'll get an A in my class. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Liz. And we'll have to uh, have you on again. There's, yeah, there's always lots to talk about when yes, it comes to news. So. I know. This, is, this was great. And again, I just one last you know thing is that you know thank you for having Sock and Source in the area, creating it. And um, again, you know, people that, and I'm not, I'm not getting paid to say this, but <laughs> I don't think people realize how lucky they are that we don't live in a news desert, that we have somebody that's covering our area. You know, yeah. a lot of places don't have this and they, they're not so lucky. And in townships and school boards, they get away with things when things aren't covered. So it's, it's really great that you're doing this. And I Thank you. wish you all the best. <laughs> Thank you. We've been recording No Rain Dates since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Sock and Source, LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Thank you.